Hi, this is Alan Ruff, the Thursday host of A Public Affair. If you have a moment and uh, the resources, remember to support the station. And if you will, head over to wrtfm.org to donate and to see what else is going on at the station. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from under. And good afternoon. Welcome to this, the Thursday edition of a public affair. I'm your host for this hour. My name is Alan Ruff. As sort of a follow up with a program we did last week with Alan Singer talking about American conservatism and so on. I thought we'd conti- do a continue the conversation regarding the far right, a, a, cons- a regular theme on this uh, a public affair slot. With me today is Matt Rothschild, who many of you are familiar with. He's a longtime friend of WORTs and has been over over a period of years a, a guest of mine here on uh, the Thursday slot. Matt is the executive director of the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign. While his efforts at the WDC have con- concentrated on the need to ban gerrymandering, to limit big and dark money pol- in politics, and to protect and expand the freedom to vote, his overarching concern has been the growing anti-democracy movement in the state and the nation. Uh, Matt is an author, a commentator, a statewide speaker. His opinion pieces have run in the Chicago Tribune, the LA Times, the Miami Herald, and a host of other newspapers. And he's appeared on NPR, C-SPAN, WISC-TV here, and various online platforms. Matt, it's been some time, so welcome back to WORT. Hey, Al. Glad you found my phone number. It's nice to be back. (laughs) I had to search, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, for some time now, you've been speaking and writing about what you refer to as an anti-democratic trend in American politics and society. I'd like to start out with your take on the current political moment and the, some of the deep, perhaps deeper underlying social context propelling what seems to be fu- be a, a fueling, seems to be, excuse me, widening polarization and the growth of that anti-democratic movement? Well, you know, their continuities and their uh, contrasts. Uh, there's been an anti-democracy movement, or anyway, anti-democracy politics, let's put it that way, in the country for forever. Uh, there's been anti-democracy uh, formations, anti-democratic, small-d politicians, But what we're seeing right now is something qualitatively different, in my opinion. We're seeing a full-fledged, full-blown anti-democracy movement. Uh, And we haven't seen anything quite like this uh, in certainly my adult lifetime. And I'm 64. And so it's extremely harrowing. Uh, This this movement uh, cannot be underestimated. We have... Uh, you know, they're armed white nationalists. And I was corrected. I was giving a talk the other night to a faith-based group, and I, I was talking about the white nationalists. And and, and Rabbi Bonnie Margulies, uh, she jumped in at one point and said, it's not just white nationalists, it's, it's white Christian nationalists. And she's absolutely right to make that point. Uh, but, you know, we have armed folks out there in the streets waving Confederate flags and, and Nazi flags. Uh, and they've gotten a permission slip from the former president of the United States to do it. I mean, he gave a green light to all these folks to come out from their basements or from behind the rocks or wherever they were and, uh, and, and display their hostility toward democracy. And, and so, you know, this is not just a right-wing politician here or there. This isn't just Newt Gingrich with his contract on America. Uh, though these are descendants of Newt Gingrich and descendants of George Wallace, if you will. Uh, But this is something uh, new in quality anyway. Uh, And uh, it's quite, it's quite horrifying. And and we ignore it at our peril. You know, Matt Rothschild, much of the mainstream news media this past week 
has focused on the FBI raid and confiscation of documents at Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. Certainly, it set off all sorts of alarm bells on the right. Uh, responses to Mar-a-Lago raid uh, engendering talk of war, talk of civil war. Sunday's New York Times uh, stated that the post-Mar-a-Lago pro-Trump influencers Figures in the media and Republican candidates for office employ the language of violence, the threat of violence, to rally opposition. After the search of Mar-a-Lago, the idea that things in the United States had become so dire as to necessitate violence has really come to the surface. Give your, give us your, your take on the the recent events and how they figure into the bigger picture. Well, first of all, I was delighted uh, that Merrick Ireland uh, finally got off the pot and did something and and got people uh, uh, down to Mar-a-Lago and and took some documents that Trump had illegally possessed. And they're super highly classified. They had a top secret classification that I'd never even heard of. And some of it may have related to nuclear weapons, according to The Washington Post. Uh, and uh, the search warrant said that they were looking for evidence of violation of the Espionage Act, which was a nasty uh, bit of legislation brought in in 1917 or thereabouts. And they prosecuted Eugene Victor Debs, I think, under the Espionage Act. But here I read the text of the Espionage Act, and Trump uh, seems to have violated it by having in his possession documents related to national security that he didn't have a right to have, and also to be using them in a, uh, a reckless way. And the idea that they're throwing this uh, shoe at him uh, suggests to me that there are other shoes. I mean, this is, this is just the first slipper to drop. Uh, I think there are like construction boots that Merrick Garland is going to bring down on Trump's head here. Merrick Garland is not someone who would have done this if he didn't have everything else set up to go. And so I'm expecting an indictment, uh, not just on the Espionage Act, but on this January 6th stuff, on the seditious conspiracy, on interfering with the functions of the Electoral College, on uh, the false electors, on election tampering like he did in Georgia when he said, just give me 18, you know, just give me 11,780 votes. I mean, just play the tape and you get an indictment of Trump. So I think it's just crucial that Merrick Garland uh, indicts Trump. And now your question about the far right response. I mean, I was reading some literature that said, you know, God put Trump here to lead us. And these people are devils who are trying to besmirch the, uh, you know, the reputation of this guy who God put on earth to, to, to essentially to save us. I mean, it's crazy, the stuff that's coming out of the white Christian nationalist crowd and, and the threats of violence uh, are appalling. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's the kind of temperature that we haven't had here uh, in American politics for a long, long time. I'm reminded of what Molly Ivins said shortly before JFK was assassinated in Dallas. She said the, the rhetoric was so hostile uh, in Dallas uh, in the days and weeks leading up to Kennedy's assassination that people weren't really that surprised that he was shot once it happened. You're listening to our guest today, uh, Matt Rothschild, with the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign. Uh, per usual, we'll be opening up the phone lines at about half past the hour at 608-256-2001, extension 9. I want to encourage people to call today because, after all, this is our discussion. That's not just the two of us here on the airwaves, but uh, I'm inviting you to join in with a question, a comment uh, and so on. Matt Rothschild, in a, in a webinar talk you gave the other day that you've already referenced, a talk co-sponsored by Wisconsin Faith Voices for Justice, the Wisconsin Council of Churches and others, um, you stated that the country is in the scariest moment for our democracy since 20,000 Nazi supporters gathered in Madison Square Garden under giant red and black a swastika flags in 1939. You went on to say the various elements of that anti-democracy movement we've already referred to. Let's run through some of those. We've touched on a, a, a couple already. 
talk about yeah, I mean, started uh, off with the Trump cult. Yeah, because let's remember this. This is people are sometimes calling this a, an authoritarian movement, but it's really kind of a fascist movement because authoritarian movement could be just a bunch of generals who want to you know bring the tanks out and dethrone the elected leader. Uh, but a fascist movement has a mass base. And this anti-democracy movement has a mass base. There are tens of millions of people in our country who are part of this anti-democracy movement. And the first constituent element of this anti-democracy movement is, as you mentioned, Alan, this Trump cult. I mean, you know, millions of people think he's the greatest thing since the SOS pad. Uh, You know, they think he's just wonderful and that he walks on water. Uh, And, you know, it's just, it's hard to fathom if you're here in Madison and a sensible, rational person that people idealize, not idealize, but idolize, almost literally idolize Donald Trump uh, because he's such an awful person in every single way. How can you idolize him? Much, uh, much less think that he's, you know, here on, you know, on God's sled for, for God's sakes. So that's the first thing, this Trump cult, and it's hard to dislodge people from the cult. The second element I've mentioned already, which is white nationalism, or more precisely, as Rabbi Bonnie notes, white Christian nationalism. Uh, these folks, uh, they hate black people and other people of color. They hate Jews. Uh, they wear T-shirts that say Pinochet did nothing wrong when Pinochet killed thousands of people and tortured tens of thousands of people, uh, uh, tens of thousands of additional folks. Uh, Pinochet, of course, was the dictator in Chile who overthrew Salvador Allende, a democratically elected leader, socialist leader. And they also wear T-shirts that say six million wasn't enough, that it wasn't enough that Hitler killed six million Jews. He should have killed more. That's who the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys are. So let's not think that they're just folks out there uh, in their camo, you know, who are trying to work on their marksmanship. These are super right-wing, super racist, super anti-Semitic folks who don't believe in democracy. So that's the white Christian nationalists. I want to stop you there for a second because at some level you, you, you go off into almost caricature of who these folks are. But there's a much bigger base, a bigger mass of folks that don't necessarily wear, uh, you know, Pinochet was right t-shirts who might be in suit and tie uh, who are very much uh, part of the movement. Well, sure. I mean, so they may be part of the Trump cult. Uh, They may be part of uh, another constituent element, which is the leadership of the Republican Party, which may not even ultimately believe what they're saying. But when you have the leader of the Republican National Committee said uh, what happened on January 6th was legitimate political discourse, you've got to recognize that they've totally thrown in with Trump. And those were three of the most obscene words I've ever heard in my life as it relates to politics. Uh, and, you know, some people are opportunists in the Republican Party, like Robin Voss uh, uh, or Ted Cruz or Mitch McConnell or Lindsey Graham. Uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, that Donald Trump isn't their favorite person on earth, but they can't bring themselves to criticize him. And and so they enable him. Uh, And then there's some people who are true believers, like here in Wisconsin, Janelle Branchin, who is the one of the leaders of the anti-democracy movement in Wisconsin. She heads the Wisconsin Assembly Committee on Elections. Robin Voss put her in that job. I think he's going to remove her from that post soon, but he put her in that job. He didn't need to do that. I mean, Robin Voss isn't one of the leaders of the anti-democracy movement in Wisconsin, but he's one of the enablers of the anti-democracy movement. I mean, he put Gableman in, of course. Gableman is one of the leaders of the anti-democracy movement, and Voss didn't need to do that. So, you know, there are people who, and then there are people who, you know, they voted for Trump. They kind of still like Trump. Uh, they may not like it. They, they, their excuses. I don't like everything he says and does, but he was good for the country. So I still like him. I mean, these are people who are drinking the Trump Kool-Aid and as part of the cult. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it, not everyone in the, in the anti-democracy movement is flying a Nazi flag or waving a Confederate flag for sure. You go on to talk uh, about the how the anti-democracy movement also consists of highly irrational people. You touch upon uh, 
election deniers, COVID deniers, the QAnon conspiracy crowd, how they're all impervious to facts, evidence, and reason. Yeah, and there are obviously these constituents are in overlapping uh, circles on your Venn diagram, but uh, look, at it's hard to have a functioning democracy with this level of irrationalism uh, in this country. Again, tens of millions of people believing that two plus two is five, essentially. Uh, and so, you know, this is a moment where those of us who are devotees of the Enlightenment uh, have to question whether we're at the dusk of the age of Enlightenment or for 19th century liberals who who strongly believed the faith of John Stuart Mill, that truth will out in the marketplace of ideas. Well, we've had a marketplace of ideas here over the last several years, and, and truth has fallen behind. So, I mean, it is a, it's a real question as to what you do to counteract uh, the irrationalism, what you do to counteract the, the cult, deprogram the cult. And, and of course, uh, irrationality has, has always played an always has played an important role in building fascist movements. Sure, I mean, and destiny whole, and yeah, I mean, it's it's based on irrationalism. It's based on uh, a feel uh, preying on a feeling of betrayed nationalism, which of course is what "Make America Great Again" was all about. Uh, but it comes with its own symbols. That's why you have these American flags that are defaced with the pro-police, uh, you know, black line on the uh, on the American flag. And uh, they have their own, you know, they have their own chants. They have their own flags. You know, uh, they have their own symbols. They have their own leaders. I mean, this is this is what a mass right wing fascist movement looks like. Along with that, Matt, continuing on the. But these elements talk about the role, the importance of right-wing media infrastructure. Yeah, well, here we have, uh, you know, not just Fox News, but One American News, Newsmax, uh, right-wing social networks that are feeding people as if on a twenty-four-seven IV drip all this poisonous propaganda. And if that's all that these people are consuming, as far as news and information about. Trump and about Biden and about, uh, you know, the FBI and Mar-a-Lago or whatever the news of the day is, if they're only getting this this one-sided view, uh, you know, there's it's hard to get a word in edgewise or get a thought in edgewise with these people. It's hard to bring them around. And so, uh, yeah, these uh, people, it's just garbage in, garbage out. You know, toxics are being into the bloodstream and, and then people are behaving in weird and toxic ways. So it's not a total surprise, but this is what happens, you know, when the fairness doctrine goes down the tubes, as it did when Reagan got rid of the fairness doctrine in the in the 80s. Uh, and you can have people just spewing anything on the air, public airwaves. And, uh, you know, the poison is running through the body politic right now. You know, a, a report in the Sunday's New York Times made note uh, that last week's armed attack on FBI office in Ohio by a Trump supporter as one of the most disturbing episodes of right-wing political violence in recent months, uh, but that it was hardly uh, the only one that threats not just in language, but threats of political violence and actual attacks have become a steady reality in American life, Look, uh, affecting uh, school boards, school board officials, threatening election workers, flight attendants, uh, librarians, even members of Congress. Yeah, and How do you some, see that fitting in? Well, and some right-winger I saw uh, who's running for office said uh, that uh, Merrick Garland should be executed, and then he had to come back and say he was being facetious or something or sarcastic. But look, at this kind of violent rhetoric and these threats of violence – are it almost an all-time high here, at least for the last 50 years. And I worry that that it's going to go from bad to worse here. And you just got to know, you got to wonder, when is it going to stop? I mean, we had that official in Georgia who warned Trump to cease and desist because someone was going to get killed. And then we had people killed on January 6th. And then after the FBI raid uh, at Mar-a-Lago, uh, right-wingers and right-wing uh, Christian nationalists and evangelicals are, you know, claiming that, you know, the civil war is practically on and, you know, this is Armageddon coming and, you know, 
get out to the front. I mean, so look, um, this language is very dangerous. The rhetoric is very dangerous. These people are very dangerous. And they're getting uh, a wink and a nod, an elbow and a tickle from Donald Trump every single day. And, and, you know, they believe he's their leader, if not their God-ordained leader. And so it won't surprise me. It won't surprise me, Alan, if something terrible happens. Matt, we've been talking about, you know, the role certainly of inflammatory political rhetoric um, that everything is magnified uh, so that all political stakes are existential. Talk about that, that apocalyptic view. Well, you know, part of the problem is a boy who cried wolf because we've been told at every election that this is the most important election of our lifetimes. You know, this is the most crucial election of our lifetime. Well, and so when a really important election comes around and people say this is the most important election of your lifetime, you say, well, I've heard that before. And so, but I do think the elections uh, in November and then elections in 2024 are really important. Not important for, I mean, they are important for the reasons that we're always told they're important because of the Supreme Court, for instance. We've seen what a bad Supreme Court can do. Uh, But they're also important for, uh, just uh, whether we're going to have a democracy or not. And is every election from here on out going to be uh, disputed by uh, not just teams of lawyers, but mobs in the street? Uh, you know, that's that's the real question mark. And, and, you know, Trump isn't one to go gently into the dark night. or I don't think he's going to go gently at all, but I do think he's going to get indicted. Uh, and maybe that will start to take a little air out of this anti-democracy balloon. And I think over time it will. I mean, I'm old enough to remember Nixon's impeachment. And a few years after Nixon was impeached, you could barely find anyone except Roger Stone who would admit that they voted for Richard Nixon. And so maybe that'll be the case with Trump ultimately. But we're a, we're a ways away from that now. And of co- but of course, Trump aside, he's that Trump Trumpist politic has given rise to all sorts of wannabes at every level of well, local, state, national government. Yeah, certainly. Uh, And the question, you know, that I'm hearing from people is, you know, is DeSantis going to be worse than Trump? Because, you know, as a betting person, I would bet that DeSantis has the inside lane to become the next president of the United States. But uh, the thing is, I don't think DeSantis or any of these other folks appeals to the rabble, uh, appeals to the Confederate rebels in a way that Trump can. I think Trump has a remarkable skill as a demagogue. Uh, that no one else really on the stage right now has. So I do think there are other people who will succeed him or try to succeed him in in the role of the leader of this anti-democracy, neo-fascist movement in America. But my hunch is that they won't be as successful because, you know, Trump is is an an entertainer. I mean, if you watch Trump's speeches, and I don't watch him in person, God forbid, I watch him on this computer, but uh, if you watch his speeches, I mean, he he's out there just having fun, entertaining the crowd, and the crowd loves it because he's still unlike a politician uh, because he says crazy things and he's not reading a text all the time. And people, one of the reasons he got elected because he wasn't a usual politician and people like that about him. And, and the other folks who are on the stage right now, you know, Ted Cruz, I mean, he's got, he's like a cardboard copy of an ambitious politician and and, you know same thing with DeSantis and these other folks so I think the other ones are less dangerous but the phenomenon and then the roots of it and what are the roots of it I mean the roots are racism first of all first and foremost racism Uh, uh, all this anti-democracy movement is fueled by racism Uh, and and then the fact that capitalism hasn't delivered the goods for people here in the United States and people are frustrated by that. And so rather than going into any kind of a progressive or left-wing or pro-democracy kind of formation, they've gone into this far-right formation. Again, you're listening to Matt Rothschild with the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign. If you want to join us with a comment, a question, give us a call at 608-256-256. 2001 extension 9 I see that you know we can open up the phone lines we're at the half hour uh, David hi you're on the air hey so thank you for the show both of you um, so I mean we can vote for Democrats and hope that the 
FBI and the federal and state police forces do their job in suppressing fascist terror. But don't you think maybe there are some things that the left could do to organize for community and personal self-defense? Thank you. Well, you know, I don't tell people uh, who to vote for. I do tell people to vote. It's important that we vote and that we bring everybody we can to vote. The more people vote, the better. The more people vote, the better for progressive values because the majority of Americans are progressive. As far as community defense goes, I mean, I do think that uh, we need to engage in all sorts of nonviolent activism. We need to, you know, get in the streets and protest. If there are violent threats, we need to be uh, aware of those threats and mindful of those threats and take proper precautions. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's what we got to do. Uh, we also need to make uh, alliances across the board from, I know there are a lot of people uh, in Madison who, who hate Liz Cheney and saying she's just an opportunist. <clears throat> I love me some Liz Cheney right now. And I think she's, she, I think she is fighting a courageous fight. Uh, and I think we need a united front all the way from Liz Cheney to Bernie Sanders. And we need to have everybody who believes in democracy come out in support of democracy. Some would argue, Matt, that that's a, a kind of narrow base for a united front from Liz Cheney to Bernie Sanders. It's a very, but it, it's a narrow base, but the base is uh, a fundamental one, which is, uh, you know, are you for a democracy or not? And she sacrificed her political career uh, to say, you know, and I hate the Cheneys. I hate, I hate Dick Cheney and think Dick, Dick Cheney's a war criminal and should be prosecuted for leading us into a, a war on Alicia Lies and for uh, overseeing an illegal torture program. But Liz Cheney right now and other people like her, like Adam Kinzinger and here in, in Wisconsin, like uh, Senator Kathy Bernier, Republican up in Chippewa Falls, who was calling out Gableman as a fraud uh, from the very beginning, that they are important voices that should be supported and not derided. But yeah, I, I mean, I do think at its most basic level, what the next couple of elections are about are do you believe in democracy or not? Do you want democracy to last or not? Or do you want the, the far-right forces to take over this country? Again, 608-256-2001, extension uh, number nine. You know, Matt, various first-hand observers and subsequent historians of, of the ultra-right and fascist movements long ago noted that, that such formations or parties have utilized democratic institutions in order to undermine them, that anti-democrats have long entered the political arena in order to hollow out its democratic institutions uh, and protections. Do you see anything on the contemporary political scene that might confirm that observation? Sure. I mean, our, our, our democ democratic institutions are being hollowed out and not just by the far right forces, but just by, you know, Main Street Republicans. I mean, that's what gerrymandering is. I mean, gerrymandering is a tool to uh, stay in power through anti-democratic means by cramming your opponents into as few districts as possible. So the rest of the uh, map is predominantly of your party. And so, you know, Robin Voss and Devin Lemahieu have succeeded in doing that here in Wisconsin for the past decade. Uh, and that's just an old anti-democracy trick. There's an article in The New Yorker this week by Louis Minad about uh, the, the uh, anti-democracy efforts. And not all of them are brought to you by these far-right folks. folks. But yes, I mean, fascists, Hitler came to power through democratic means. Uh, and... Look, we had an there was an opportunity in the second impeachment, the first impeachment, in the, in the second impeachment, to take the threat of Trump and this far right movement seriously, and to uh, to really uh, get rid of that threat, at least in the person of Donald Trump, by voting to impeach him. If you and if you listen to Mitch McConnell's speech on the night of the second impeachment you would have thought that Mitch McConnell had uh, voted to impeach him and told all his Republican colleagues to impeach him. But no, quite the contrary. He said uh, he voted uh, not to impeach. But look, I mean, he could have solved the problem and he didn't. 
Lindsey Graham could have helped solve the problem. They didn't. So look, that's they're they're playing. They've made a pact with the devil. Republicans made a pact with the devil. The devil being Trump and these far right forces. And what was that pact? You can do anything you want. You can even destroy our democracy so long as you give tax breaks to us, our rich friends and corporations, and so long as you give us right wing judges. That was the deal. And most of the Republicans uh, seem perfectly satisfied with that deal, at least in public. Let's continue on with on the our caller. We Gary, hi, you're on the air. Hi, Alan. Thanks for taking the call. I wanted to discuss the fascist state of affairs, and you had a couple shows on ankle bracelets, and that's just the beginning. I'm sure both of you know about the Fusion Centers, which is a collaboration the FBI, NSA, and all local police. They monitor. Uh, they pick people out to monitor, and they they check. Uh, they know about every library you book you borrowed every bookstore you made purchase every online activity and purchase you make they use license plate readers at the stop signs they can track your photo location totally and in uh and in all this information gets processed and saved in total in bluffdale every phone call in total not metadata is is recorded every email every search is recorded every computer can be monitored online or not and this is all under Operation Echelon, and there are people known Thanks, as Gary. CIs. And thank you. Well, yes, Gary, I, I know all about fusion centers. I used to write about them at, at the Progressive Magazine when I was there back in the day. And and your, your point that the uh, security apparatus in the United States uh, has all sorts of powers of surveillance over us is absolutely true. I mean, we're living in a, a George Orwell fantasy land um but that's been with us for a while and to me that threat though it is an existing threat along with a lot of other existing threats uh to our uh, democracy pales in comparison right now anyway to the threat that we're facing from this anti-democracy movement let's take uh, another caller steve hi you're on the air Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Alan and Matt. Um, well, my question before I get to it, that last caller, that that's the Patriot Act. Well, then we should uh, uh, refute the Patriot Act. Uh, OK. Anyway, my question is, um, who is going to set the example in the United States for our constitutional domestic tranquility? We have to set the example. If somebody has to set a good example. How to, how to live life in the United States, not arming ourselves with guns. That's not going to work. But who's going to set our example to follow, to not gerrymander, you know, to, to have fair elections, fair maps? Who's going to do it? That's my question. Well, Steve, it's a, it's a good question, and I think there are a lot of people working on fair maps. There are a lot of states, actually, that have banned gerrymandering. There are a lot of states that are way ahead of Wisconsin in pushing pro-democracy reforms forward. I do think we also need to set pers- a good personal examples, and that's why I encourage people to actually try to get engage in a conversation with someone in your wide social circle, if you have anyone, who may have been tempted by some of this anti-democracy junk and, and try to bring them back from the abyss gradually. You're not going to get it by get them back from the abyss by calling them names or disowning them or or say, you know, read this article or that article, but by engaging in conversation with them over time, first over shared values, and then just gradually trying to talk some, some uh, political sense into them if that's possible. Steve also mentioned, you know, wipe, uh, yeah, we should wipe out the Patriot Act. The thing that I want to see Congress do here while Democrats still have control of it, how about wiping out the Insurrection Act? Because remember, Trump was considering using the Insurrection Act and declaring martial law. The Insurrection Act allows the President of the United States to put U.S. soldiers in the streets, uh, and and he could have done that. And there are, there's also the National Emergency Act that should be revised or repealed, and there are all sorts of uh, homeland security, national security directives that need to be looked at because, you know, uh, Trump, if he was smarter, could have just pulled those off the shelf and say, I'm putting the military in the streets and here's my legal fig leaf for doing it. The election's over. I'm president for the next four years. 
Take it or leave it. 608-256-2001, extension 9. We have but, though, 15 minutes left, and we have so much we could talk about. I want to get your take on the uh, uh, Gableman firing uh, and how it ties into what we're talking to talking about today. Well, it was a long time coming, right? Because this guy never should have been hired. Michael Gableman, just a couple days after the election in 2020, went to a pro-Trump rally and said that unelected bureaucrats had stolen the election from Donald Trump. So he was hardly an, an impartial investigator. And it's a joke that uh, that Voss is saying now, well, he was came highly recommended to me and he did a great job in the first year. He didn't do jack in the first year, except to acknowledge that he didn't know how elections work. And then he spent two, two months in a library down in the uh, Milwaukee suburb trying to bone up on how elections work in Wisconsin. And then he made outrageous hires. He hired someone, other people who were uh, deniers about what happened in November 2020. He hired one guy named Andrew Kloster, who said, you know, the right wingers need their needed their own hooligans out there, their own irate hooligans. That was a direct quote. So this was always a guy from the far right, not the smartest guy, as we've seen over time, but a real right wing hack. Uh, and he embarrassed himself. Robin Voss is right about that. He embarrassed the state of Wisconsin, but he embarrassed Robin Voss, and Robin Voss is an embarrassment for hiring him. Let's, let's turn some attention to the election races shaping up in Wisconsin. Uh, give us your read at this point on the main electoral contests. Uh, as I mentioned before we went on the air, the uh, campaign uh, for governor with uh, uh, Tim Michaels and Tony Evers uh, fascinates me uh, at some level, uh, but we could take it wherever you wish. Well, I mean, I saw the Marquette Law School poll yesterday that showed Tim Michaels gaining ground on Evers. It's just like 46-44 or 44-42 for Evers, and Evers had a, a much bigger lead uh, in June the last time Marquette came out with a poll. So for people in the Evers camp, that's got to be alarming. I mean, and I don't know what accounts for it other than the fact that Tim Michaels has had a lot of money uh, for advertising and that outside groups were advertising for him as well. And he's going to get just a ton of outside money because the two biggest Republican donors in the state, Diane Hendricks of ABC uh, Supply and the E-Lines down in Lake Forest, Illinois, owners of the U-Line Corporation, uh, have joined hands or joined bank accounts and are going to spend unlimited amounts of money to try to get Tim Michaels elected as governor and, and also uh, to try to beat Mandela Barnes. Now, Tim Michaels, let's look at his ads, first of all. The first ad he ran was an incredibly racist ad against immigrants. Uh, it was, uh, I'm, I was not only in favor of the wall, I helped build the wall. And no immigrant in Wisconsin is going to get a driver's license. And no immigrant in Wisconsin is going to get in-state tuition if I'm ever governor. So that was his first ad. His second ad was all about Trump. It opened with him in front of a huge truck with the word Trump in just the most gigantic letters in case you weren't paying attention. And then he used the word Trump about 10 times. And I've got to think that his endorsement by Trump at some point is going to be an albatross around his neck. But according to the Marquette Law School poll, uh, the albatross hasn't landed on his neck yet. So uh, I'd be surprised uh, if he was able to win this, but uh, you just never know. I mean, we are a state that is split down the middle, and when uh, and there's going to be a ton of money on both sides, and and maybe it comes down to whoever has the best ads. God forbid. You know, uh, Rochelle tells me that we do have uh, Steve on the line with with a question or comment. Hi, Steve. You're on the air. Yeah, uh, Alan and Matt. We progressives praised the technology of contemporary social media when it facilitated the election of Obama. And then that phenomena came back to hit us in the head with the similarly facilitated election and near re-election of Trump. I believe the mere presence of the Internet has poisoned the body politic because viewers confuse perceived information with factual reality. Please comment on the value or not of social media. Thanks. Well, you know, I think a campaign, any campaign these days engages in social media 
and social media advertising. But I'm not sure that's exactly your point, Steve. I think you're talking about uh, people being in their own camps, maybe people not uh, taking, uh, you know, long form information seriously and being more uh, thoughtful about how we make decisions or people just resharing things regardless of source or validity of the source. And that is certainly a phenomenon going on these days. But, uh, you know, I think it's it's not going to go away and people uh, who do campaigns are going to have to do social media outreach. I also think old-fashioned campaigning, and by that I mean person-to-person campaigning, talking to people in your social spheres, uh, making sure the people who agree with you get out to vote and trying to make headway with a few people who are otherwise reasonable people but who might not agree with you already on politics, uh, that that is super important these days. Man. Let's talk a little bit about uh, how you see the race for U.S. Senate shaping up between Ron Johnson and Mandela Barnes. It's the distinctions between the two, the differences between the two are quite quite wide. Yeah, you couldn't get it more different people. Um, I was happy to see in, uh, in the Marquette Law School poll, for those who are Mandela Barnes fans, that he is uh, like at 5144 at the moment, uh, I expect that to narrow. I expect it to be a closer race. But if Democrats can't beat Ron Johnson with all the liabilities that Ron Johnson has, I mean, basically, they should hang it up. They can't sell popcorn in the movie theater or peanuts at the ballpark if they can't beat Ron Johnson. I mean, look at Ron Johnson. Here's a guy uh, on the abortion issue, for instance, who applauded the Dobbs decision, uh, doesn't believe that you should be able to get an abortion in cases of rape and incest, I don't believe. Uh, here's a guy who was lethally idiotic about COVID, telling people uh, uh, to use ivermectin, uh, saying that it was an overblown health risk that COVID was. I mean, here we've had more than a million people dead in this country from COVID. And in Wisconsin, 15,000 people dead. And he minimized COVID all the way up till today. I mean, he's ready to put Social Security and Medicare on the chopping block. He didn't want to make insulin affordable to people who with diabetes. Uh, he, uh, you know, made sure that the Trump tax break included a tax break for Diane Hendricks and the E-Lines, the super funders of his campaigns. Uh, you know, there's just so much out there. The thing that concerns me, though, is all the stuff is already out there and is pre-baked. It's in the cake already. And and all the negatives on Ron Johnson, everybody knows. And I'm sure the Republicans are just going to throw the kitchen sink and the fridge and the stove and the toaster at Mandela Barnes. Uh, and I suspect that Mandela Barnes is going to be able to deflect it. Uh, his candidacy, uh, he's a great candidate. The more people see him, the more they like him. I've known him for years and years. He's a very likable, nice person. He is down to earth. I mean, that ad with him in the shopping mall, I mean, in the in the supermarket uh, rang real true. I mean, that's who that's who he is. I mean, my wife saw him at TJ Maxx buying a shirt, for God's sakes. I don't think Ron Johnson goes to TJ Maxx very often. We have a few minutes left in the hour. If you want to get a quick call in with a question, comment, brief comment, 608-256-2001. Matt. In that talk you gave uh, last week, uh, the webinar, uh, you listed some suggestions on how to defeat this anti-democracy movement. You've touched on some of them before. Run through them, would you please? Yeah, I mean, just to summarize again, I, mean, I, I do think we need to uplift the voices like Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, uh, Kathy Bernier. Uh, we also have to... Uh, make a united front with anyone who's willing to join to say, I don't care how you identify politically, but this election, you know, uh, my vote is to support our democracy and to oppose those who want to tear our democracy down. Uh, you know, I think it's important to vote, get everybody to vote. I also think it's important to, pro to protest. Uh, and I meant to put that in, in the list. Uh, but yeah, we need to do all these things. Uh, if we're going to be able to defeat uh, the, the forces against us, because this is this is something we haven't really seen before. And it's not a regular 
uh, formation. It's not a regular election season. You know, Matt, as I was, uh, you know, preparing for the program today and, and, and reading reading your pieces and, and, and so on, I, find my, I found myself thinking about the fact that there's little discussion of, of the deeper social crisis, uh, especially in regard to such things uh, coming on, on the horizon, coming uh, such as, of course, climate change uh, and the fact that that the underlying crises that it, our, our culture, our society, our political and economic crises uh, inform so much of this. And, and uh, it could take another hour, of course, to excavate some of that. But I'm wondering about what you think around you know, the fact, well, I mean, the conspiracists are loaded with climate, deni- climate change denial uh, and so on and so forth. Yes, that's part of the irrationalism that's out in the in the body politic right now. That's part of this anti-democracy movement. And you know, I, I tell my kids, you know, the old expression you should live in interesting times. Maybe we should live in less interesting times. I mean, this is a time period where we have all sorts of things uh, that uh, are really crises combined, as you've pointed out time and time again, Alan, the crisis of capitalism not delivering the crisis of climate change. We have this fascist movement in this country that we haven't, the likes of which we haven't seen anyway in decades. Uh, And we have this, you know, once in a hundred year pandemic. So it's, it's a challenging time. I mean, humans aren't really programmed to deal with crises, especially structural crises, uh, much uh, to respond to them, to understand them, to uh, defeat them. And so, it's quite a task ahead. That's why I uh, entitled the talk I gave, you know, the tall task ahead. We've got a lot of work to do. I think we're going to get through this. We've got to be a little bit lucky, but I think we'll get through it. But it's a real test. I want to come back to something that, that, that I also thought about as I was reading that list. Uh, you, you talked through the, through the course of this hour and in that talk you gave the other day about the necessity of persuading people who were te- have been tempted by the anti-democracy movement to come back to reality, but earlier in earlier in in your talk, you talked about we we talked on this hour about the irrational. How do you convince irra- irrationality to come back to reality? It's a real question, isn't it? This is a problem that cult deprogrammers deal with all the time, and you don't do it by confronting people head on with their irrationality. You can only do it gradually uh, by uh, establishing rapport with people uh, and and try to gradually uh, show them your side of the story. They'll tell you their side of the story. You won't scream and yell at them, but over time you want to instill doubt in their minds and try to uh, you know, uh, gradually make them understand. This is a project that I'm working on with several people I know. Uh, and I can't say that, you know, I've made a lot of conversions, but I can say that, first of all, the people who recognize me as a, a, as a voice of the left uh, don't think I've got horns on, which is uh, a good starting point. Uh, and I'm not talking about trying to convince people who are flying a Nazi flag or Confederate flag or have a swastika on their biceps. That's a waste of your time might be dangerous for you too. I'm just talking about, you know, people, you know, half the people in this state voted for Donald Trump. Uh, most of them aren't flying Nazi flags and Confederate flags. What are you working on these days, Matt? What, uh, tell us about, you got any, I'm, I'm sure you have projects in the hopper. What's coming up? Well, one thing I think that's interesting is that there are business leaders, especially in the Milwaukee area, who founded a group called Business Leaders for Democracy. And they're trying to convince other business leaders to oppose uh, basically Trumpism and oppose the anti-voting bills uh, that have been introduced in the legislature. And if Tony Evers loses, Robin Voss has promised to bring those anti-voting bills to the fore. So I think it's interesting that uh, business people who usually stay out of politics, stay quiet about politics and who traditionally have had a very cozy relationship with fascism, some of them, 
that that some leading business people in Milwaukee are speaking out about this threat. So that's something I'm working on right now. And you know, we have a few minutes left. Any other further thoughts where we've been today? Well, I just think we need to recognize uh, that there are these long-term threats to democracy and their short-term threats. The long-term threats are racism, capitalism, imperialism, things you talk about a lot on your show, uh, and uh, the inequality of wealth and income uh, and the failing media. But the short-term crisis is this new anti-democracy movement, and we need to recognize it as a mass fascist movement. And we need to do all that we can nonviolently to oppose it. And I think uh, we've got to, you know, recognize it and act and defeat it. I think we will, but it's going it's, it's to take that recognition first. We can't just say it's the same old, same old, because it isn't. And uh, if people want to uh, contact you or read what you write, uh, stay in touch, where should they go? Sure. I, I posted that talk I gave that we've been mentioning on this show. So just go to our website at WISDC.org. That's WISDC for democracycampaign.org. It's also posted on our Facebook page and my personal Facebook page. You can see it there. And if you want to help out the democracy campaign, we're nonprofit. We'll take lottery tickets. We'll take PayPal. We'll take anything. Not too proud to beg. We don't we don't do advertising on this station. <laughs> well, again, again, it's always a, a, a pleasure uh, to have you on. It's been it's been quite a while. Uh, so I want to thank you today. I, of course, want to thank our my new engineer, by the way, Nate. Uh, thank you for an excellent job today. First time at the helm. And Rochelle, our producer, you, all of our callers, our listeners. I've been your host for this hour. My name is Alan Ruff. And I'll be uh, speaking with you next week. Thanks. Six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground, another pirate station. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by helicopters in the night. Attempt triangulation of our station in the fight. Straight from the base, deep down, no precision. High crime treason, we broadcast in sedition. Like the Wall Street morning, afternoon edition. Commandeering airwaves from unknown positions. Live and direct, we come and never be recorded. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted. We come and listen and supported. Live and direct, we come and never be recorded. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted. We come and listen. And supported. Ha ha. My kill my people.